Canine Cast number 43 is sponsored by Home Again. Home Again ID Microchips at homeagainpets.com. It's the Canine Cast with Tara and Walter. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Canine Cast. This is Tara. And hello, everyone. This is Walter with your Canine Cast recap. In case you missed the last show, Canine Cast number 42. We talked about cell phones for dogs. We also discussed schnauzer bumps and had listener pictures of Kuma and Pepper. For this show, we are going to be talking a little bit about invisible fences, which I'm sure will be quite a controversial topic on the show. And also, we're going to be talking about spaying and neutering and whether there's a significant difference between spaying and neutering at your veterinarian versus spaying and neutering at a shelter's spay and neuter clinic. So without further ado, I'd like to go ahead and read a question from an email sent in by Ben. And he actually brought up the invisible fences. He says, I was wondering, what is your opinion on invisible fences? I know a few people who have them and say they are perfectly humane and their dogs have never even been hurt and some have never even been shocked by the collar. I'm afraid that this is a cruel way to restrain your dog, but I can only see it from my point of view and not a canine's. Well, Ben, um, there are many people who would probably come down on both sides of that fence, um, pun not intended there. Uh, I know that in some parts of Europe, any type of uh, shock collar, which is what's used in invisible fences, are actually outlawed. However, I also know many people personally who have, who have had a good experience with an invisible fence. So um, first of all, for anybody who, is, who isn't familiar with this, uh, an invisible fence, or sometimes called hidden fences, are, um, are basically a fence that consists of a wire that is buried around a, a part of yard where you would like to keep a dog contained within that wire boundary. Then the dog wears a collar on it, and if the dog tries to cross the boundary, then that collar will give them a shock. Now, they say that the shock is about the same as you would get from static electricity. So it's, it's enough to startle the dog, and I'm sure that it's quite uncomfortable, although from what I'm told, it's not supposed to be especially painful for the dog. However, um, it's supposed to be, you know, an, an uncomfortable enough that the dog is then not going to want to go outside of that boundary. Now, there's a, there's a few things to keep in mind. I, I would say personally, my take on them is that I would think that they would not be the the first choice in, in what to use for a fence for your dog. As a matter of fact, I would personally recommend that they be used as a last resort um, if other things have been tried and this is you know kind of the last thing that you can do in order to keep your dog contained. So um, and, and I've actually had a little bit of experience with this myself and I'll share that story with you in a little bit. But before we get to that, um, just to give you just to give you some information on how these work with the dog. Some some people make the very unfortunate mistake of thinking that they can just go ahead and put up this boundary, put the collar on their dog, let their dog go, and the dog's going to stay inside the boundary. I personally would say that that is not a very nice way 
to introduce your dog to this because if if the dog doesn't know that the boundary is there, then this just will totally take it by surprise. What they recommend that you do when you put in one of these fences is that you take some time to train your dog to stay inside of this boundary first. And this can, this can and should take um, up to a few weeks to do. Now, the way, the way that it starts is the boundary is put in and it's all set up to work. And before the, before the dog even starts wearing the collar, um, the, the owner is supposed to go around with these little flags and put them around the boundary. Then go outside with the dog and begin training it. The way that the dog is trained is you take the dog out on a leash and just kind of walk around the yard. And any time that the dog goes toward that boundary, you, you call the dog away from the boundary and then praise them for staying away from it. And sometimes they'll, they'll even tell you that you can tell the dog no or something along the lines. Something that the dog will understand means that the dog should not go to that point or past that point. Then when the dog comes back inside the boundary where it's supposed to be, it gets praised. That way the dog learns that there's a positive association with staying in the boundary and that they shouldn't go outside of it. Now, over time, and this is over weeks, the, the flags are taken up little by little so that the dog goes from having a visual idea of where it is to, um, with the flags, to just, you know, getting visual clues from generally where that boundary is inside of the yard. And at the same time, the dog has begun to wear the collar. Now, when the dog first begins to wear the collar, you're still going out with the dog and training them to, to do this. So, you go with the dog, and when they get close to the boundary, you go ahead and pull them back. The collar should make a sound before it actually um, shocks the dog. So the idea is you're not going to allow the dog to be shocked while you're still working with it on the collar. You're just going to allow it to go to where it hears the sound. Then you're going to tell the dog you know, no or whatever word you use to let the dog know that this isn't something it should be doing pull them back inside the boundary with you and then praise them and tell them how wonderful they are. Or when I say pull, actually call the dog, you're not going to drag them. But, um, you know, do something to entice the dog back inside the boundary and then praise the dog. And this, go, this goes on until um, basically the, the flags can come down and the dog should, you know, when you start seeing the dog going towards the areas that are um, where the boundary is, the dog will automatically turn around and come back. This, as I said before, may take a few weeks to get this effect. So anybody who wants to do this is going to need to put in some time and have some patience with it. All right, now this whole entire time up to this point, the dog's been wearing a leash. So the dog hasn't been um, able to go outside of the boundary or to receive a shock or anything like that. It's just been the person with the dog on the leash training the dog and anytime the dog goes goes to go past the boundary, the person calls the dog back inside. And so the dog is now, because it's learning, um, starting to come starting to come back on its own from the boundary. At that point, that is when the um, the owner can try removing the leash. And at that and at that point, you know, you still want to be out there and supervise your dog and see what they do. This is when the dog may experience a shock um, if, they, if they decide that now that the leash is off that they can go out past the boundary, which does sometimes happen. Um, 
However, um, generally, generally speaking, they don't tend to um, experience the shock uh, very, very often. Most of them will do it once or twice and then um, kind of, you know, get the idea that the sound means that a shock's going to come next if they don't get away from there. So um, some things, some things to keep in mind here. Um, that's, that's basically how it works. While this is all going on, this still doesn't mean that, um, that you're going to want to leave your dog outside alone when um, with this up. You're still going to want to be outside with your dog and, be, and supervise them. And um, I'll get into why in a little while. But that's essentially how they work how your dog is trained for them. Now, of course, the advantage of this is that for people who maybe um, can't have a fence in their yard, say maybe there's a neighborhood association or a code that doesn't allow it, um, they will still be able to have their dog run around more safely than if their dog is not contained by anything. Um, and, you know, it, it's an alternative to having to, say, tie the dog out um, it's also something that people could use um, if they already have up a fence and the dog is escaping um, through the fence and they're having a very difficult time containing the dog. It's an alternative. Um, however, I, I would say that I, I would recommend that if you do not have some type of a, of a fence um, to keep other animals out that um, with this invisible fence at the if, if you decide to go with this that at the very very least you are always always outside supervising your dog because while an invisible fence can keep your dog inside in many cases what it can't do is it cannot keep out other animals such as other dogs that may be um, that may be roaming the neighborhood or, um, you know, cats, whatever. But, um, you know, it would be, a, of course, a horrible situation for another dog to come, you know, across the boundary, attack your dog, and your dog has nowhere to go. So make sure uh, for anybody who is, you know, trying to decide how to do this, that you know that you would have to be outside and supervise your dog if there's nothing else um, keeping, you know, keeping your dog contained or in keeping other things out. In addition to that, um, there are some other uh, disadvantages to this. Um, one, one being that people who come by or walk past the house can't see it. So you're, it may look to those people like your dog is charging at them. Um, the dog may still stop short. The dog may, you know, technically be contained. However, um, that does open you to some liability, especially in places where they have dog laws where, um, even if people feel threatened by the dog, then they can still complain and that can still cause troubles. So keep that in mind as well. Now, some dogs also have, um, you know, have a, a threshold for, you know, a high pain threshold, um, be it for, you know, static electricity or, or, you know, higher pain. But in any case, they may go through this barrier if the distraction is strong enough. So, you know, if your dog really, really likes to chase cats and there's a cat on the other side of this invisible fence, well, it may be able to contain them or they may just decide, oh, well, and go through anyway. That's where the training is so, so very important. They say that the training is one of the biggest factors in whether or not the dog will go through and that a lot of the dogs where the collar is just put on um, and they aren't trained, they don't know to associate that, um, that shocking feeling with where they are in the yard. So they'll just eventually go through it and figure that they're going to get shocked every now and then or just get scared about wherever they are. Um, in addition to that, 
the success of the system depends on how well the homeowner maintains it. Um, it's not something that you just put in and then forget about. There's a battery in the collar that needs to be replaced, so you need to check on that and make sure that that's still working. Um, the collars must be on correctly, otherwise um, the dog won't feel anything if they do go through it. Um, so that's not so that won't be very helpful. Now, some people say that you know their their dogs use this for just a little while and then they're trained and then they're able to turn it off. Um, and that's you know, and that's fine for them. But some other dogs will continually test it. So if there is ever a, a weakness in the system or it goes down for whatever reason, then the dog will get out, whereas if it was working, then it would have possibly um, kept them in. So now, also, for any dogs that have any type of aggression issues, and this this goes for dogs that have aggression issues towards other dogs, towards other people, um, what have you, this can actually make it worse, um, and it can and it can also it can also um, be something where these these dogs that are aggressive may be more likely to go ahead and run through it. Now, the reason why it can make it worse, and it can even begin an aggression problem in a dog that did not display aggression before is if the dog, say the dog is going towards the boundary and it gets the shock. Well, regardless of whether or not the dog knows to associate the shock with that boundary, if that dog happened to be, say, running towards a person on the other side or a dog on the other side and it gets that shock, it may begin to associate those shocks with people or with dogs or with something else. Um, you know, it could be it could be anything. And since that dog is now experiencing, you know, either lots of discomfort or pain that it associates with a person or a dog, that can cause it to start either developing aggression issues or if it previously had aggression issues, can make it worse. So, um, so a lot of a lot of people. Say, uh, say that if your dog has any aggression issues, then this is absolutely not something that you're going to want to do. As a matter of fact, um, the the original um, Invisible Fence uh, company um, said that they don't sell the system to contain dogs that have any history of aggression, of biting, um, or or of running away because it's not it's not a system that will necessarily be very successful for them. So. These are all things to keep in mind when um, considering whether or not to do an invisible fence. Now, I said before that we'd actually had some um, some experience with it ourselves, um, so you know, so Walter and I can share that with you. Now, the reason for this is basically what happened is we've we've mentioned a number of times on the show that our Kyler is an amazing escape artist, and I don't know how much we've gone into detail with that, but. Um, the, fir the very, very first day that, that we brought her home um, and, and let her outside. Well, um, the very first day we brought her home, she actually escaped outside by going through the dog door that we thought was too small and too low to the ground for her to fit through. Right. That was that was number one. So that but but we figured, OK, so she can so she knows how to use the dog door. That's fine because we'd already had, you know, we already had a full um, privacy fence and there weren't any holes or anything um, for for you know the, the dogs to get out. And she was just going in and out with our other dog, Toby. So we figured, OK, everything's fine. And throughout throughout the night. Um, they were allowed to go in and out, and we kind of kept an eye on them, and both were fine. So we thought, okay, very good. They can both use the dog door. Everybody's happy. Everything's set. 
Then the next day we went to work and this was luckily a half day um, of work. Well, we were, we were there for probably about 10 minutes when we got a phone call saying that our dogs were out. So we're going, oh no, you know, how could they have possibly gotten out? And things are running through our head and we're, oh my gosh, we just got this new dog. I can't believe that they got out. So run home and, coll- and collect our dogs from our, from our very nice, wonderful, understanding neighbors who were holding on to them for us and immediately began to search the perimeter of the yard to see what had happened. And there under the fence was a very big, very obvious hole that had been dug that had not been there before. And there was no way Toby could have done a hole that big in that short a time. Oh, no, no, no. So, so, we, so we figured, okay, that's got to be Kyler, the new dog. All right, so inside the house they go. And we begin to research ways to keep dogs inside of a fence when they want to dig out. So we hear, okay, well, something that, that's real quick and easy to use that contains a lot of dogs is chicken wire. Put it at the bottom of the fence. Um, make sure that it goes, extends about three feet away from the fence so that they can't um, just, you know, dig right beyond it. So great. So we get ch- chicken wire put it down and we get some stakes to stake it down into the ground so that it's not going to come up easily. However, then, um, you know, we let the dogs out and they're running around. They're fine. We supervise them. Everything's good to go. So we think, wonderful, the problem's solved. However, the next time that we leave the house, lo and behold, we're gone for, oh, I don't know, 10 minutes. I wasn't sure if we actually left the house on purpose for that run or not. No, I think at this point we still assumed she couldn't get out, so... Yep, so we, so we went, went ahead to work or wherever we were going, and uh, 10 minutes later, our wonderful neighbor gives us a phone call and says, your dogs are out. We go back, and she has pulled the chicken wire up off the ground, even with, even with the stakes, and thinking about how uncomfortable this must have been on her feet, pulls it up from the ground to dig out under the fence. So we realize, okay, obviously that's not going to work. We need to find some way to attach it to the fence and then stake it into the ground. So we get our handy dandy staple gun and staple gun the chicken wire to the fence every every couple of inches. So it's it's pretty heavily stapled in. This this was great times. Oh yes, this this is this is good fun. Um, sta- so we we've staple gun the chicken wire to the fence. It's re-staked into the ground. Of course, all of the areas that have been dug up have been filled in. We go, we go outside with the dogs. We watch them. She's not even interested in digging out. And throughout the day, we just kind of observe them and see what they do. And everything's fine. And we, of course, practice pulling on the chicken wire to make sure it'll stay in the fence. And we can't pull it out. And plus, it hurts to do so. So we figure, okay, this time we're probably all right. But we're, we now are going to be a little bit more careful and we're not going to really go out. So we go and we get in the car and we drive down the block and we come back and we check and the dogs are still there inside the fence like they should be. We're so very excited. So we decide, okay, we'll do a big test. We will drive down and get ourselves a little fast food breakfast and come back and eat it and see if the dogs were okay. And don't you know in the I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes that that took. Um, we, we come back just in time to see Kyler slip out the bottom of the fence from where she had somehow pulled the chicken wire away from the fence, pulled it up from the stakes, and then dug out. 
So we're absolutely amazed with this dog. Into the house they go. So our next thing that we do is we go ahead and we actually bury concrete blocks along the fence line. So and that that was that was great fun. I think that was mostly Walter's great fun to tell you the truth. Well, and we didn't actually I don't think we did concrete blocks along the entire fence area. I think we just did it on the fence pieces that were side yard to the front yard so that way if the dog if Kyler jumped over the other fences, at least they'd be contained by the neighbor's yard and maybe be distracted enough not to go any farther than that. I don't know. Well, she she hadn't shown any sign of being interested in the neighbor's yard. She just wanted to go out front. And I, and I think it may have been a thing just to see um, where we were, what we were doing. Because actually, when she would, when she would um, jump over the fence, she didn't really go much of anywhere. She just kind of like would stay there and look around and then go lay down on the porch. She, yeah, exactly. That's probably what happened. The neighbor kept seeing her on the porch but but nonetheless um toby would still go out of her hole and he would take a good run around the neighborhood and it wasn't good for either of them to be out unattended and alone so we so we uh went ahead and buried concrete blocks along the fence line then put the chicken wire back over that and then did our little test test again where we watched them for the rest of the day and they were fine left them alone for little tiny bits of time they were fine the big test came when we went to work for a day and success they were fine we had no calls from the neighbors we came home later in the day we were very very excited to see both of our dogs were there like they like they should have been now throughout this whole thing yes we could have closed the dog door when we left however since we were both out of the house working for eight hours a day we felt like that would just not be very nice for the dogs especially since toby um was not exactly at the height of housebroken he kind of depended on the dog door in order to be able to do his business outside um so we so we didn't want to have to keep them inside for for that long or longer if we got stuck at work later which happened occasionally so now the dogs can go in in and out of the dog door they can play around outside and have fun during the day and they're safe inside the fence so we're very very excited and we give ourselves a big pat on the back and breathe a big sigh of relief about nine months later at work, we receive a call that Kyler is out. Not Toby this time, just Kyler. So now we're thinking to ourselves, what, what happened now? Did we, you know, did we accidentally you know, pull up one of the concrete blocks and forget? Did she dig into a neighbor's yard? How in the world would she have gotten out? Surely she must be going under the fence or through the fence. Something's broken because it's a six-foot fence. She stands a foot and a half off the ground. Surely she cannot be going over this fence. So get home, wa walk around the perimeter of the fence, and everything looks great. There are no fence pieces gone. There are no holes under the fence, nothing. However, we do notice some scratch marks by one of the fence pieces um, up towards the front of the house. So we go ahead and get Kyler out there, and we kind of wander around and observe her. She runs around the corner to where this fence piece is, and I just catch her up on her two up on her two hind paws with her two front paws on the beam that's holding the the different little pieces of wood together on the fence post like she's going to climb up the fence and lo and behold apparently that's exactly how she was getting over it she was just scaling the fence yeah because we went around to the front yard and called her and she just went flunk right over the fence oh yeah oh yeah she had no problem doing it and she, when, then she came right over and was very proud of herself but uh, so yeah so the mystery was solved and she now was not only able to to uh, go under unguarded fences but able to scale six foot fences 
So in the house she went and Walter and I just scratched our heads because we did not know what to do next. So we're thinking, should we put something, you know, jutting out from the fence? Should we put barbed wire on the top? We have no idea. So, um, so we asked around some, um, some people at the, at the dog club and people we knew, um, who had dogs and most of the people that we talked to suggested using an invisible fence. Um, a number of them, it's, you know, basically had similar circumstances where they had a dog that was an escape artist and said, you know, we put in the invisible fence. It's the only thing that can contain them. So we said, okay, well, you know, we're going to weigh this out. And on the one hand, we can keep the dogs inside when we're gone, but that could be, you know, eight or nine hours a day, or we can put in this fence and hope that that will contain our dog, you know, or we can allow her to escape and then she'll get hurt. So obviously the third option was not even, (laughs) even really an option. Um, We had to either leave them inside or put in the invisible fence. So we decided, okay. We'll give the invisible fence a try, and uh, not kind of kind of killed us to do that. But we figured it would be it was better than making them stay inside all day. So we went ahead and installed it, which was not as easy as it sounded. But then again, I guess nothing ever is. We installed it, and you know I spent the next two to three weeks going ahead and training training Kyler. And I mean, they had a video for it and they had instructions for it and everything that they said to do, you know, I took extra time to do to make sure she was really, really trained and, you know, used the flag. She was coming back to me. Everything was great. Um, so the first, so the first day comes weeks later that I take the leash off of her. And of course, this whole time, whenever we're not there, they've just been inside. She's only been supervised in the yard take the leash off of her and, you know, go to let her kind of wander around the yard. Don't you know, the very first thing she does is she sees a squirrel back in the very corner of the yard beyond the boundary, decides to go run to the squirrel and gets zapped, jumps in the air and yelps, runs back to me and won't leave my side. So this is another disadvantage of the fence. When they, when they do get shocked, they may get very scared and not want to leave either you or a very small area of the yard. And that's what happened to her originally. Right. Um, it, took, uh, it took a good week or two before she would actually run around the yard and play again, which made us feel absolutely horrible. But on the other hand, we didn't want her escaping because we were very afraid of what would happen to her. So... Um, so we went in and left it up and she, you know, and she eventually adjusted and got to where she wouldn't go, she wouldn't go past the perimeter and everything was fine until, um, about what, a year and a half later, we start noticing her developing all of these strange fears. Like she, for for example, she wouldn't come near our couch anymore. If we were sitting on our couch, she wouldn't let us pet her. And then that developed into her not coming into our living room area at all. And in addition, she would not drink out of the the water bowl that she shared with Toby anymore. She had to have a totally different water bowl. Um, so we're wondering, you know, what's what's going on with her? Something's weird here. And what happened, and we don't exactly know why, is that our invisible fence had started uh, malfunctioning, and she was hearing that beeping sound inside the house. 
at just random places inside the house and developing a fear of there because she would, you know, for her, that noise meant that she was about to be shocked if she continued on. Yeah, I had a digital camera that I had gotten that had a similar sound and I had to turn off the sound beeping on the camera because she would freak out every time. When I first got it, I tried to take a picture of her. She ran away. It was so sad. Yeah, yeah, and it took us a while to figure out that that's what it was, was the noise, um, you know, the noise sounded to her like it. So, you know, so they, so if they, you know, whenever they hear a sound that sounds like, like that, they will, they will kind of, will learn to fear it and they'll, you know, do whatever they can to kind of get away from that. Um, now, we still don't know why the caller was making the noise in the house. Um, but what we, what we did at that point, we just stopped using the invisible fence. Um, then we had to retrain her to be okay with the couch and to be okay with the water bowl and, and to be okay with entire rooms inside the house. Um, meanwhile, outside it was off. So we, you know, so we kind of kept her supervised, but don't you know, she, she continued to try the boundaries, even though she had been doing this for, you know, for however long. And at this, at this point it's, it had to have been over a year, um, she kept trying those boundaries. And when she noticed that it wasn't making noise, she would just go past the boundary. So um, long story short, uh, I guess very, she's very like, long. She's like the velociraptors from Jurassic Park. They keep trying offenses over and over again. She, pre- she pretty much was. And yeah, I guess, I guess long story even longer. Um, it, it basically, it didn't work for us. Would I, would I use it again? Pro- probably not. I can't, I can't imagine that I would, um, I would, I would now try my, my very, very hardest to find a way around. I mean, even if I had to put, I think a net over the, the parts of the fence or something, um, just because for us, you know, it, it, it worked to a certain extent, but it had some, some very unintended consequences that were not, uh, good for our situation. Yeah. And the other thing that, might be if we were to do it over again would be to seek professional installation i mean we did the best possible job we could have done for any consumer installing a fence or anybody especially with a trainer like tara training the dog on top of that but to have a professional install the fence you might get a different result in the end maybe you won't have the side effects that we experienced inside the house with the fence but when you're messing around with pain and you know, you could have it go off accidentally and have all sorts of weird associations created. There's got to be a, 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 you know, like Tara said, this has to be an absolute last resort, I think. Yeah, I would, I would, I would agree. The reason why we tell you everything we went through with Kyler and her escaping is so that you know that when we did decide to go with the invisible fence, we really did see it as our last resort. And, um, you know, and then keep it in mind as well. Like I said, there are the other disadvantages where, um, you know, I personally would not feel comfortable putting in one of these unless there were some other barrier, um, not not just to contain my dog, but to keep other other dogs, people, um, what have you out, um, you know, in order to keep in order to keep my dog safe. So, um, so basically, you know, Ben, that's that's my very very long winded answer <laughs> to your question about what I think of them. But I am I am sure. And I'm sure we'll receive some emails from listeners uh, if anybody would like to send in and let us know their experiences with the fences. Um, but I'm sure that there are people out there who are using this and have great experiences with their dogs. And as, as Tara said, it was recommended to us uh, by her, her pet club. So your mileage may vary, but I think that in the end, it's just a huge challenge that there's got to be a better way. 
Yeah. I, well, I would I would say you know if there is a better way way you know do your do your best to find it, um, and if you know and if not be be very very careful uh, with how you proceed with this because you know we don't want any um, unintended consequences um, to come you know to anybody from using this. So, but yeah, if you if you do have you know your own stories to share, then of course we would love to hear them um, about you know this or anything else on the show. And as I said before, I think this will be kind of a controversial thing. So I'm sure we'll have we'll have people you know with all kinds of different opinions on this. So thank you so much for writing in about that, Ben. I think for our first really really controversial topic here. So we'll see how uh, how that goes. All right, so I also t- I also today uh, wanted to go over really quickly another question um, that Chorus had sent in, ep- and I mentioned this before about spaying and neutering at a at a local shelter versus spaying and neutering at your veterinarian. Um, Chorus wrote in, "What's your take on spaying at the SPCA and a veterinary hospital?" There's a significant difference in price, but is the value of care the same? We had Roxy spayed at a hospital and paid a few hundred dollars, worth every penny. But I can't help but feel maybe we should have gone to our local SPCA for the same service at a cheaper rate. Please share your thoughts. Well, um, my thoughts on that are, first of all, um, the, the price difference may vary widely depending on the situations with your personal veterinarian and your personal shelters. Um, more and more shel- um, SPCAs, humane societies, um, other types of shelters are beginning to include um, a spay-neuter clinic, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And a lot of them either um, have are able to, uh, are subsidized so that they're able to offer a lower rate either for everybody across the board. Um, some For some of them, the lower rate depends on the income of the people that are getting their, their dogs spayed and neutered. So that means that it may raise or lower depending on what your level of income is. Um, there's a number of different ways in which they do it. So, um, so you're going to want to look into that and also look and see how that compares with your veterinarian. So far, as, so far as the value of care, I would say that um, more than being able to put a value on it, the care is likely to be different. And so, so far as the value, well, a lot of that's going to depend on what you're comfortable with and what you are looking for. For example, um, there's, a lot, there's a lot to be said um, for the comfort that a lot of people feel in taking their dog to their vet, especially, you know, if your dog's been there a number of times to get shots and so on, and, you know, your dog feels comfortable with the vet, you feel comfortable with the vet and the vet knows your dog, then that, then that may be, um, that may make you a lot more comfortable about the surgery that's about to go on. And then that can be, you know, a big difference for, or a big reason to pay the difference in price. In addition, a lot of vet veterinarians may actually want to, after the surgery, keep your dog there for you know for observation. Um, a lot of times overnight. Now, at a spay neuter clinic, they tend they tend to do an excellent job. Um, the spay neuter clinic, since that's all they do there, the veterinarians there and the staff there tend to be very very familiar with the surgery and do it all the times. So they tend to do a really really great job. 
a lot of times there, they're not going to keep your dog overnight for observation. Normally, they'll have you drop off your dog at the beginning of the day. There'll be, you know, a, a certain time frame, and then you pick up your dog at the end of the day within a certain time frame as well. So a lot of the observation there will be left up to you, um, whereas at your vet, um, your dog may be staying over. So that accounts for part of the difference in price as well. Now, with the surgery, it's, it's, it is considered major surgery, um, with, especially with spaying for your dog, because they actually do um, you know, cut into the abdomen. It's, it's less of a big deal with um, the males. But, um, but you know, some observation is going to be required. So part, so part of one of the things you want to think about is whether you're going to um, feel comfortable observing your dog um, feel like you're going to be comfortable knowing what to look for or whether you would rather having them be at the veterinary clinic or the veterinary hospital for them to observe your dog as well. So, there, so there's a couple of things to think about there, but I think that going either way is an excellent option. Um, spaying and neutering is, is you know, so very, very important for, you know, for all dogs and, um, you know, and both veterinarians at, um, you know, your, your local personal vet or the ones at the spay and neuter clinics um, are both well-versed in what they're doing. So they're able to do, to do a very, very good job with your dogs. So it's, so it's really up to you. Um, I would recommend for anybody who is looking at these different options to, you know, to check both out, see what the price difference would be, and then, you know, also find out the actual, the actual steps, the full range of care that's going to come with the surgery and see what makes you feel most comfortable. Um, and, you know, and what you may want to do, you know, whether you want to observe your dog or leave it there, or, you know, what other extras you may get um, through your own veterinarian that may or may not also be offered at the spay and neuter clinic. So thanks for that great email, Chorus. And hopefully that'll give you some food for thought for next time that you're taking one of your dogs in to be spayed or neutered. And now for a word from our sponsor. As a bloodhound, I have a pretty good sense of smell. Right now I can smell a seven ounce filet with hollandaise sauce about four miles from here. Mmm, I love filet. I think I'll go see if they have any left over. You don't think your dog will run away? Your dog might think differently. One in three pets will get lost. Without ID, 90% won't return home. That's why vets recommend the Home Again Microchip, a safe, permanent ID that can bring your pet home. Talk to your vet about Home Again and visit homeagainpets.com. Thanks so much to our sponsor, Home Again, for helping to support this show and also for helping to spread the word about microchips, what they are, what they can do, and why they're so very, very important um, to have for your dogs to help keep them safe and happy. Now we love getting emails from our listeners, so please continue to send those and it really, really brightens up our day whenever we see that. So please send us your thoughts, your questions, your stories, and also pictures of your dogs. We love getting those and putting those up. So we hope to have some more for you on the next show. And now I think that just about wraps it up. So if you haven't already, please remember to spay or neuter your dog. It's the best thing that you can do for your furry friend. If you have a question for Tara or a comment about CanineCast, please send an email to caninecast at gmail.com. Or you can leave a voicemail at 206-338-DOGS. And you can leave a comment on our website at caninecast.com.